Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of React Roundup. This week on our panel, we have Lukas Heisch. Hello, everyone. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have a special guest, and that is Jared, I totally blanked on his last name, Palmer. <laughs> <laughs> I recovered that quickly, that didn't I? Yes, it's quite the nickname. Yeah, Jared, uh, do you want to real quick just uh, let people know who you are, why you're world famous, all that stuff? <laughs> sure. Um, so my name is Jared Palmer. I am the lead engineer of the Palmer Group, which is a strategy design and engineering firm based in New York. I also am in charge of our client solutions architecture, which is a fancy way of saying I'm in charge of problem solving. And sometimes that includes code. We are a small yet mighty uh, team. We uh, help businesses, whether uh, anything from a startup to Fortune 50 companies solve their toughest problems, whether uh, that be with like data science or building applications or services or infrastructure or DevOps or automations, MarTech stacks, whatever it is, we basically can do it. Um, and so, yeah, that's me. And on the side and in doing all of that in service to all of that, I'm like pretty passionate about the open source community. And so I've been pumping out as much open source uh, as possible. My popular library is, my most popular is called Formic. It's the form library for React as well as uh, Razzle, which is a build system for SSR applications for server rendering. Uh, Backpack is a build system for like Lambdas and Node backends. And uh, there are a couple others that I'm missing, but that's the, those, are the big, those are the big ticket items. Awesome. We brought you on to talk about your talk at ReactConf about React Suspense. Do you want to just give us kind of the... 10,000 foot view elevator pitch sort of thing for React Suspense. So we're all kind of coming from the same place when we talk about it. Sure. So you know, the way I like to start this off is basically saying that as engineers, we like product builders, we like to make things, make it good, make it fast, make it pretty, right? So let's just assume that your thing is good. You need to make it fast and pretty. And basically one of the fundamental conflicts that involves making something fast and making something pretty um, or let's just say with by the word pretty we mean like good user experience and also super fast there can be conflicts inside of the systems and one of these uh, innate conflicts that can occur are loading states and the reason why these this conflict occurs is to make something super fast you defer all your resources in your application right you like lazy load images you raise lazy you code split your bundle you load data inside of components all over the screen on the client, et cetera. In React, that means that there's usually some sort of loading state, some sort of loading spinner. And that's really good, that loading spinner, because on slow connections, it shows the user, this is the pretty part, that there's something happening, and that the UI is responsive. But on super fast connections, React doesn't let us like tell React, like, no, we're on a super fast connection, don't show the spinner, it's just going to be there in a millisecond or two. And so what ends up happening is you get these janks all over your screen with like all these loading spinners showing up all over the place on super fast connections, but on super slow connections, your app's like pretty responsive. If you were to remove those loading spinners, like by rendering null or something like that, you're just like not showing your user anything. And that doesn't solve the problem on slow connections. So you don't show your, if you don't, if you show nothing when this happens, well, then users can't, they get the app doesn't look seem responsive on slow connections. So this is like a fundamental conflict, right? So what React Suspense is, it's a way, a new component in React and also new part of the library that actually allows you as the developer to tell React um, how to more efficiently weight and schedule a resource 
resources. So what that means is you can tell React, hey, wait for this to show up. In the meantime, let's pause rendering while we wait for this resource, whether that be data or an asset or an image or a font or a whatever, let's wait and suspend rendering. And when this uh, arrives, we'll continue rendering. Then you can set a fallback here and there and be like, well, if this takes longer than X amount of time, let's show this. And that would be a spinner or a fallback or something like that. And this is where suspense um, really, really shines because it allows you to, what it allows you to do is allows you to, on super fast connections, deliver a super snappy, zippy experience with no loading spinners or any sort of loading state. And on slow connections, it keeps the app responsive because again, those fallbacks can be coordinated and triggered. So that's what that's what React suspense is all. Yeah, that, that's very interesting, uh, Jared. I have one question about that. It's like, how is it different from from like current practices, like from like a library that you can have like one component that you define fallback, right? A spinner as a fallback with a duration. Sure. How, how is suspense different? Sure. So this the suspense is different because if you're using and now you can use suspense with and without the new fiber renderer. Uh, so React um, or concurrent mode. If you use suspense outside of concurrent mode, the fallback will always be triggered. Like from a user experience, it's no different than having a loading state. But if you enable concurrent mode, React can actually pause. It literally will suspend the rendering underneath this React.suspense component. And you can't do that with any other kind of third-party library. It's not possible. So again, this is literally, it, it actually like with, it's, it stops any mutations to the DOM while it's in the pause state. And also in your code, what makes it very interesting is it basically removes and you can fully delete like any is loading state or anything like that. There's no, it's not a stateful thing. There's no state involved here. Um, it's simply whether or not the asset is, has uh, been fetched or is in a cache, which they've also released, which is called React Cache. And it's this basic cache for React. And basically if the asset is available in the cache, it will continue rendering. If it's not, it will pause until the asset is fetched and put into the cache and then it will continue. So it's fundamentally different than any third-party like data fetching library or anything like that. Now, that being said, other data fetching libraries can build on top of suspense and utilize this kind of removing the concept of remo removing the loaded, loading state. And as we, in the future, this isn't available yet, but in the future, uh, they'll be built, they'll build out caches on top of React cache. But this is, but data fetching is not actually available yet in any meaningful way in suspense. That's coming next year. Um, right now, the primary use case for suspense, primary use cases are for like loading images and lo loading modules mm -hmm. using react.lazy. So what this allows you to do is with react.lazy, you can specify um, uh, a really quick, quick, quickly how to code, how your bundler, if you're using Webpack or Rollup, probably Webpack, how it should split your code using a dynamic import and then React underneath it. If you drop the this component under suspense component, it basically can do what I described before, where it can pause and suspend rendering while this module loads. But if it's there in the cache, uh, basically uh, it will load instantly there on out. So if you go back to that route or example, right, or you go back to this other part uh, of your application that's already been loaded, it's going to be there. So that's basically like top level ten thousand of a view of how suspense sort of works and why it's useful, and it's really really exciting. But it's also really not yet done. Next year, we'll have data fetching. Uh, so yeah. fetching JSON and storing JSON, that'll come out. Um, and then also potentially like server rendering support with um, the new server renderer that the React team is working on. But that's coming out sometime in the end of 2019 or towards the end of 19, according to the late, latest roadmap. So is suspense something that 
is coming from the React team then, or is this something that Palmer Group's working on, or is it something else? Uh, React Suspense is from the React team. It was announced at ReactConf. I had the pleasure of being the, here's how to use it, like giving that talk at ReactConf after Andrew Clark and Dan Abramov sort of introduced it. And it was a collaborative team effort. The, the team had been working on Suspense for quite some time. And so it was quite the honor to be able to show it off. But yeah, that's totally the React team's mm-hmm. amazing, amazing work. Yeah, it's going to be native to React, right? It's in yeah. their world. It's already, uh, we can already use it like in the synchronous React with Lazy and uh, the image. Correct. And um, you can also use it in concurrent mode too. If you either use the react.concurrent mode component mm-hmm. or you use uh, the unstable create route, which is the different way to mount an entire application into concurrent mode. Uh, mm-hmm. But again, it won't work with server rendering. Um, so yeah, in my talk, I go through like exactly how you can use it. And that hasn't changed at all. Just the timeline on some of the uh, data fetching stuff is, and again, you can fetch data. There just some, there are some just pretty big missing pieces, mm-hmm. uh, of, of mostly related to like React cache and stuff. Like you can't invalidate your cache right now, mm. so that makes it really hard. As soon as you go into some applications that's not just read only, mm-hmm. you have to write to the cache. Like let's say you're doing a patch or a post or an update, weird okay. situations very quickly. So it's not ready. So I would not advise using it for data at the moment. Um, outside of like experimentation, but certainly absolutely amazing for caching images and, and doing image loading. In my talk, I show off how to do like a low quality image placeholder. Absolutely phenomenal for that and amazing for, again, a lazy loading your modules and code splitting. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. For, uh, looking at your, uh, watching your talk at ReactConf and, and the other talks uh, regarding suspense, I think that the, the, the thing that attracts most of that is that you are actually detaching all the loading state logic from the actual components, right? Yeah. So you can think of them like separately and you don't need to bring all the loading states together with the components every time you're like bringing to a new project or something like that. So you really can think about separately how to deal with loading states in this particular route, in this particular page, separately from how the components look and behave. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's a good point. Yeah. Like it reads with suspense because you actually remove the concept of truly like a loading state. It's like loading, may, that, that spinner may or may not be shown, but that is nothing to do with the data flow of your application. Yeah. Uh, and the reason for that is um, when something has come out, when something comes out of the cache, uh, in React cache, when you read from, let's just say a resource, mm-hmm. um, it's always defined. So it reads like top to bottom, it's basically another way to think about it is like synchronous async. So it's asynchronous code, but it reads top to bottom synchronously. And so the benefit of that is because because of that also, like if you fetch, let's say like the source of an image or, or let's say play pretend for a second, you're fetching data and I'll just use data as an example, it's the easiest to think about. Let's say like you're using a suspension with, with data component or sorry, with, with JSON to, to store data, JSON, like the result of that request will always be defined when it's returned from your like cache. And that's amazing because you don't like how, think about how much code in your React components are all related to like, is this defined or is this null or is this loading or is this available? Oh like God. so much code is related to that. It's like basically mm-hmm. all you do all day is like, is this defined? Maybe, I don't know, let's render something else. So all these ternaries related to like, is this defined? Question marks relating to data or just like any asset, like not just data, but just I'm using data as an example, but again, any asset, any resource. Suspense allows it to, you to write code 
as if it's all defined because it will be all defined by the time it's executed because React will pause until it is defined and that's how it all works. So it's amazing how much code you actually delete um, and how much clearer and cleaner things end up becoming, especially when combined with like hooks and some of the other stuff that's coming out. Like it's amazing what is coming in React, like super, super exciting stuff. But yeah, to your point, all this loading state nonsense that you write constantly and all this defensive programming that you're so used to and all these ternaries, most of them will be able to go away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just interesting. And another aspect that, that I really thought it was interesting is that not only it goes away, you detach it, right? Like you think about loading states in a, in a different moment than you think about your actual components, but you also can compose loading states. So you can say like, you can have like one suspense with like multiples, multiple, multiple. Yeah, yeah, so you can you can say like okay, so if it's really quickly, I can put like a loading state like near the components, but if it takes a long time, I can put a, a loading state in the whole in the whole page. Yeah, so basically the way that works is it's very 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 interesting. The, the mental model you should have for yourself if you're new to suspense is underneath a single React that suspense component, other children that read from the cache, they will read from the cache in parallel if they're sing- if they're siblings mm-hmm. and. Basically, suspense components can be nested and infinitely nested, just like and composed. So, like, it will basically suspend and it will bubble that up, basically. So, like, if you've got multiple suspense components, it just waits until it's ready. When it's, let's say, then one one inner suspense component's ready, it'll go to the next suspense component, and the next one, and the next one, higher and higher and higher up the tree, basically. And what's cool is you can you don't have to set a fallback this like loading state base or this loading component on every single one if you don't want to. Um, you can, um, you mm-hmm. probably want to, but like you can have like three or four components that are going to read from the cache. They'll all be siblings and those get executed in parallel. So it's kind of like a promise dot all in many mm-hmm. respects, if you think about how it all gets executed. But like if you have um, children and, and they are suspense, they will execute in like a waterfall. So uh, the innermost will be, so it'll, it'll just like bubble up if that makes sense. Like the way you would expect in like a, yeah, it will just bubble up. So you can use that to your advantage to just, as you described, to basically like have super fine grain control over how exactly your loaders or spinners like show or or hide or, you know, when things are ready, when do they come in or when they come out or based on, you know, on both fast and slow connections. Because remember, this is all about maintaining best user experience across fast connections and slow connections. So like those fallbacks, they don't even get rendered on if it's a super fast connection and you can specify and finally control that as well. This is only on like, if this thing takes a super long time, will these fallbacks be fired? Yeah. And you can decide on things that are super complicated to do today. Things like, imagine I am fetching the description data of a user and the user image. If description comes before the image, I want to show with the loading in the image. But if image comes first, I don't want to show anything. I want to, 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 to just be on a loading state. This kind of... Yeah. Like of logic is very tricky. Yes, it's very tricky today, and with suspense, it's almost like trivial, right? Yeah, it's it's super it's super easy, and you could even do like you could even show a lower quality version of that as the place of the same image, but with a yes. lower quality. Yeah, yeah. Now so, you mentioned that this isn't ready for prime time. So, are there things that I can be doing now to kind of have my code ready to take advantage of this when it comes out, so that I can simplify that code? Because, man, there's nothing more satisfying than going in, cleaning a bunch of stuff up, and then just deleting a ton of code. Sure. So you can definitely start using Suspense for your 
again, lazy loading modules with react.lazy, really, really well in code splitting. You can do it for like some assets. If you go, we actually, um, after ReactConf, right after my talk, I, I published a thing called the platform, which is a bunch of like suspense ready components, like image and video and audio and different like things that are suspensified or suspense ready out of the box with React Cache. So you can check that out. It's on it's on Palmer HQ's GitHub uh, called the platform. You can start using stuff like that. But again, I would stay away from data fetching, even though you're like the holy grail is going to be like caching, doing stuff with like your data. But like, again, it's that's not, there are like significant things missing from the data fetching story with suspense right now. So I would hold off from it, but you can like move to, again, images, lazy loading modules. And then if you're using React Router, you may want to switch to Reach Router because you'll be able to basically wait for suspense. And if you can enable concurrent mode, Reach Router is cool because it will basically allow you to like wait until the data is ready on the next route or it won't be the data, but as far as like the images or assets are already ready before like moving. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is like, if you move to Reach Router, Reach Router has got some special logic that basically will allow for suspense to suspend in concurrent mode. So you can do things like render a loading indicator, a loading indicator on the master list view before you move to the detail so that the application waits until that image is fully loaded and stuff until the basically like the route has fully all the resources are available. So the, the, the modules loaded and the, and the images there, basically like you can do those kinds of things, which is like improve user experience. Or if it's not there, if it takes too long, you can render this fallback. So like you can start using like suspense, like reach routers are like one of those like libraries where it's really very suspense friendly. If you use Gatsby, it's already baked into it. So you can start doing that too, but you may have issues with suspense and server rendering with Gatsby. So um, mm -hmm. actually, yeah, I'm not sure exact, exact, only if you use like Gatsby and like app mode would that work. But, um, yeah, so those are some things you can do. I would basically not make any massive data fetching decisions, like massive refactorings. That's my advice is to sit tight. Actually, like if you're fetching data one way, you're using like, certainly if you're using GraphQL, great. Like if you're moving to GraphQL also totally fine too. I guess that's the only one that's, you know, moving to Apollo. Sure. Uh, those libraries like Apollo will just like take advantage of suspense and it will just be a lot. They'll basically probably remove the loading state. So like right now there's a loading part of like the query component that will just get removed is my guess. But again, just speculating here. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I guess my, my biggest thing is like start using it for modules, start um, using it for assets, maybe uh, like images, and then just maybe hold tight on your data fetching um, decision because it's going to change. And the only thing more painful than like potentially upgrading to uh, or doing anything you know differently is is going to be like unwinding some specialized version of this that you've sort of hacked around or built for yourself. We're waiting for the uh, suspense data story to finish, and when that finishes, you know, sometime in the next year, we'll make a decision. And then we're also sort of waiting for the suspense server render to be ready. And then when that happens, we'll we'll, we'll make some decisions. But but until those like fundamental building blocks are there, we're sort of in this holding pattern. The server-side rendered part, where, where is it today? What happens if I if I use suspense today and in a server-side? The world will just like at <laughs> universal end. Uh, no, so what happens is um, you get a pop-up in your terminal and it's basically just Guy Fieri. Uh, no, uh, what happens is it, it explodes. It doesn't work. There's no server rendering in suspense. It just doesn't. No, it just okay. will not a, and not do anything. When the future, when the new server renderer gets out, which I'm actually need to refer to the roadmap as to when that's actually planned. So right now with server rendering, there's a super kind of awkward, not so nice situation where 
you basically need to know about your data at the top level ahead of time because you basically like have to uh, fetch data from the side and then inject it at the top level and then pass it all the way down through your tree. And that's how like Next.js works with like get initial props. Apollo does something really um, inefficient. Apollo actually run, walks your entire render tree. Yes. Um, so it actually like renders twice and it loops through everything, collects all your GraphQL queries, like fetches them and then puts them back at the top and like hydrates the cache for you. But it's super inefficient because you have to pass through rent the entire React tree twice, once to get all the data and then once again with the data to like actually do the rendering. So it's very, very inefficient. So those are the two options you have right now. Either you know ahead of time what the data requirements are or you need to parse the tree twice. What's going to happen with the suspense server renderer is you won't need to know ahead of time or React will need to know ahead of time your data requirements. On the server, when it require, when it hits the suspense thing, the same thing is going to happen. It's just going to wait again to those resources already. And with how that's all going to work is it's going to basically, at least the prototypes we've seen, it basically will stream down the HTML or into like little script tags and start streaming the data uh, very similarly to the way that Facebook loads Facebook with its bootloader. I don't know if your listeners are aware of how Facebook loads. It's very different from other websites. But basically, the suspense server renderer will, will stream the HTML and all the your, your code down to the browser and in a way where it will efficiently be able to u- utilize suspense and only take a single render, which is super cool. It'll only go through the tree one time which is kind of amazing. This is interesting, but this is this is only possible if you are streaming, right? Yes, that's true. So that's not going to happen with like render to string or because today if I'm not mistaken like Next.js is no. not streaming yet. Right, yeah, they're all the yeah, Next.js is render to string, After.js is render to string. Most people write with render to string. I know yeah. Max Stoiber at Spectrum does render to stream. Basically the render to stream thing the big kind of gotcha there is you need to be careful about your CSS and JS libraries mm-hmm. and stuff yes. um, because they may not be as compatible with the streaming operation and also your data fetching. Again, you need to know ahead of time and completely separately. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that can be like kind of awkward to do the stream. And then there's also some side effects you need to be aware of too. Like you need the like React Helmet won't work with streaming at the moment. You have to yes. use a special version of it, which I believe the New York Times has built. So at least with the discussions that I have had, uh, with the new server renderer, you mm-hmm. will basically be able to write your suspense components as if and fetch data as if you were just fetching from the client, and it will just work in server land. The big difference being you need to polyfill like fetch or whatever, right? You can't use mm-hmm. anything that talks to the window because window doesn't exist on, on the server. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But so, as long as you do that, you should be able to just quickly server render your application as long as you're not doing any DOM stuff and you're fetching and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You'll just you'll encounter suspense. And so this should make uh, moving to and from server rendering really easy or much yeah. easier than it is now because right now it's quite the pain. Is suspense yeah. going to be available for React Native? That's a great question. Uh, my guess is suspense probably will be, but I don't know about... That's a great question, actually. There's a whole host of other issues with React Native, too, that like with the async stuff that I'm not 100% mm-hmm. aware of. So I would ask somebody on the React Native team, but my guess is suspense, yes, but I don't know the internals as well as that. I know it's just DOM for now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe that the code splitting part is not as crucial in the in the React Native realm, but as soon as the data fetching part is ready, I think it's going to be interesting, even, even if it's only for the whole like architecture thing, the whole like separation of concerns and stuff. Yeah, my guess is it won't be meaningful in React Native again, yeah. Because like 
images and assets are definitely way different, but my guess mm-hmm. is that it will be more useful once the data story is there. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. We, we were talking uh, the other day with Justin too about like making one episode focus on server-side uh, rendering. We are here at ZocDoc, we are streaming. We're server-side rendering our main uh, pages that have like SEO needs and we are streaming. There's a lot of, lot of like gotchas here and there, things like, that's one that we came across is that once you start uh, streaming to the client, it's always a status quo 200. So that means if you if you fail something and render like an error page in the middle of the streaming, your page is still a 200, and that's like bad for monitoring, and that and that's also bad for SEO. So if Googlebot is is looking at you, like you, we implement the streaming for SEO, and if there's any error happening in the middle of the streaming, maybe it can even hurt SEO. So this is the that's interesting. I didn't think uh, about that. That's a great point. Um, <laughs> I guess, yeah, because you can't change the error code, but you couldn't delay it potentially, right? No, maybe you can't delay it. No, no. Yeah, status code, like on the HTTP the first thing protocol. You have to do first, right? Yes. There are some, there is one thing called, uh, oh my God, now I don't know the name. There, there are like some kind of headers that you can send after the first, uh, that people say that those headers are, whenever some headers should change, you need to send those, that, that metadata during uh, streaming, but yeah, but we tested like with the Google bots uh, emulators and stuff and the, the Google bots, they don't understand those metadata. So that's a big, big critical point. That's um, cause like, I think the plans for like the server renderers for them to be used like on a lot of different products all over, like, you know, they want to move a lot of stuff at Facebook to that. So I'm sure they'll have to solve for that one. <laughs> yeah. And hopefully they will. Uh, but that's a great point about streaming. I've only used it on a couple like pages where we knew that it wasn't like going to be mm-hmm. like for like on the on a home page or something like that where we knew it existed or on a marketing page where we knew all the information about it, not mm-hmm. on a like a profile page where it could four oh four. But that's a great point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we're using here like it was it was really impressive, like the the gain from the the string to the streaming version. So like even in our like servers, the load in the servers was so much better. So I'm excited to have like a really good like streaming story and it seems that suspense is bringing it. Yeah, we'll see. It should be it should be interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I have another question uh, to you. So you are talking about like uh, suspense and being involved with your libraries. You're always involved with like the next waves, right, of the, the front-end programming and your company, you're, you're working with other companies, try to, to, to help them problem solve as... as 
you said it in the beginning. So what's your approach with these companies on like adopting or not adopting or like, how do you think it's, it's, it's the way to deal with this, like uh, keeping dependencies up to date or not? Like how's your process? How is your thought process into that kind of uh, problem? Yeah. So we um, it sort of depends on the situation, on, but certainly for clients, sometimes we do digital transformation when it's when we're like basically taking a client and we are taking a company and we're moving them into the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's also times where we are, you know, we've already done that. Now we're in maintenance mode or we're building new features. And more or less our rule is we don't tend to our gardens unnecessarily. So like even with um, all this awesome new front end stuff that we build, we try to build things so that they're incrementally adoptable always. And so when we get to a new feature or if we're getting to a new system, that's brand new. Yeah, we'll try to use the latest and greatest stuff, but we like to also use like boring technology just the same. So most of our technology will be boring, and a couple we'll take a couple of bets on some things that we think are in the you know definitely going to be big. Like we bet big on TypeScript, and mm-hmm. that turned out amazing for all of our clients because now everybody's using TypeScript. But this was like we made that bet for a bunch of clients two years ago, and it turned out awesome. But on other clients, we were you know we upgraded them when when it made sense to. We sort of think about it as like when we get to a new feature. We don't just like upgrade stuff or refactor for the sake of refactoring. When the suspense data fetching story happens and we have comfortably decided and found our like optimal solution, we will start migrating to it when we you know implement a new feature. But we're not going to go rewrite the entire application that way. When we have a new feature to build, we'll you know tend to the garden and we'll we'll take extra time. We'll take you know 20-30% extra time to do the refactoring that we wanted to do. But we won't just like rewrite code for the sake of rewriting code because it's very, very wasteful and stupid. So that's our approach to things is basically incremental adoption, always take a few bets, but mostly use boring technology. And then we don't tend to our garden unless we're, you know, making a new patch, basically, mm-hmm. <laughs> unnecessary. Yeah. So with the incremental adoption, so the trade-off there would be that you can end up with like one code base and like three different styles of doing stuff. Yeah, that's true. Right. So, so how do you deal with that? that? That's totally true. And it can happen you know, even with the best intentions with that. And certainly when we take the time to refactor something like data fetching, for example, we make it so that it's more fun to use the new thing. Mm-hmm. That's like one of the big key <laughs> indicators of success is like the same thing with like design systems or component libraries or any new library. Like if it's not more fun than the, like seriously more fun than the current version of it, then it's mm-hmm. not going to get used. So basically what ends up happening is by the time we sort of accept that's going to be the case no matter what, but that also that like, depending on the stage of an application, right, it may not be worth even bothering because you've just done the whole thing again for consistency perspective, the gains might not be there to make, to like add this inconsistency into the application. Like we have one app that's like mostly SCSS and it's like atomic SCSS, much like tachyons, but it's not tachyons, it's a different thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, we experimented with Glamour, but you know, we, we did some experiments with Glamour but at the end of the day, the upsides of like having this thing in like an inconsistent state is like not that great. So we're probably going to pull that all out and just go back to SCSS because it's just it's not worth upgrading to CSS and JS and it's not worth being in this inconsistent state. So I'll just say like, yeah, it's something you need to just take, take into consideration whether, you know, with incremental adoption, are you going to be is consistency like more important than the gains that you're getting from this new tool, basically, mm-hmm. uh, which is a big, big question. And if so, like, then that's just part of the consideration that comes into the equation when you're assessing like adoption strategy or not. 
So yeah, I mean, it's a very valid question and it happens all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Hopefully the thing is incrementally adoptable and also incrementally deletable. So you don't make these like (laughs) weird, that's also like a big important thing, right? But yeah, like there's, yeah, I can think of a couple other uh, situations like that, Uh, ripping out Redux. Like I think we still have Redux in some parts of a certain application, even though we don't use Redux and haven't used Redux for like three years. Mm-hmm. But like, what's the point of ripping it out? It's completely isolated. It's it's there. It is what it is. If we go back and redo data fetching for suspense, we'll rip it out. That's kind of our. That's kind of like an example of how we would go about doing some of that kind of stuff. So yeah, I don't have a great answer. <laughs> I don't know. I like the uh, pragmatic approach. I mean, a lot of folks, their path to trying to new technology is, oh, we've been banging on this app using the same, essentially the same stack for two years. And now we need a new thing, right, in our company. And so now we're going to go use the latest and greatest. And so they upgrade like big swaths of their stack all at once. And then they go through all the growing pains and learning pains. And, oh, this wasn't exactly what we need all at once. And so I like your incremental approach because then it's, hey, you know what? We kind of spread this into the app a little bit. And it turns out that it's just not what we need. So, we, you know, we just phase it right back out you move up on the things that are getting you further forward faster. And at the same time, you know, you're not, you're not so focused on, Oh, this new stack is really hard. Yeah. We are super against rewrite rewrites for the sake of rewriting only when there's a new feature or like you're redoing a screen. Is it worth ever touching? Cause it's the best code is code that's done and in production. So like in our company, we say like shipping is perfection. If it doesn't help you ship faster, it's not worth doing anyways. Presumably the refactor and the buy-in is, and the upside is so much greater that it's worth putting again, the application's inconsistent state. And yeah, incremental adoption, deletion, you you nailed it. Like this thing, we really like the idea of CSS and JS, but it's like not worth it on one of these applications to even go down that path. And, and yeah, that's the other thing is that people are like, well, I feel like I'm falling behind. And it's no, you know, you're incre- incrementally trying new things. And so you're staying current. Yeah, yeah. The big rewrites are really painful. Um, the only, the only like, you know, sometimes with data fetching and stuff like that, especially with like SSR, you might need to have situations where you're going to redo all the routes for an application, depending on how big that is, all the data there, that could be like a bigger thing. But like, yeah, there are parts of the things that are like somewhat intertwined, but for the most part, yeah, incremental adoption is the way to go. And also that's the six, that's like a key selling proposition and a value proposition of your open source work. If you're creating something in open source that you don't need like full buy-in or this massive, like, or it only works on greenfield projects. Like you need to be able to allow people to incrementally adopt your thing. That's like step one nowadays. So uh, that's been, that's paid off like quite well in the open source realm. Uh, Formic is incrementally adoptable. Backpack is incrementally adoptable. Razzles is incrementally adoptable. Not as incrementally adoptable as I'd hope, but yes, it is incrementally adoptable. Certainly like all the little libraries that little components and stuff totally are. Uh, And even React, of course, is incrementally adoptable. So it's sort of, that's the mantra that we follow and believe in. I particularly like, uh, if we're talking only about like the front-end code, I particularly like that the component model of React makes it really easy to, to, to keep things contained. Sometimes like you have that component that you did not touch and it doesn't, does not make sense to touch it now. You really can leave it untouched. <laughs> like it's only calling like a component with props. I don't care what's happening inside. It's doing all its logic. So in that sense, like it's, it doesn't require a lot of like system-wide changes to use new libraries. I think the Redux is the only one that maybe like it's mostly all 
system-wide in your application, it's 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 difficult to to get rid of Redux if you think about because it's it's there like in the in the beginning the setup phase. Yeah, with Redux, um, I was into it for a little while and then ultimately like got it sort of bailed on it. Uh, I can see why people use it at larger companies, but again, like they're now we have better primitives, especially with hooks now with use reducer and context, and so like there are definitely things there that are super nice about it. Uh, that, sorry, that are super that, that are that are great about React now that you don't need it, but with with Redux, like ripping it out, depending on how how you did it, if you're using it for data fetching and like doing all your data fetches in Redux, it can be incredibly painful to rip out. But if you were just using it as like a cache, basically, where you were just storing the values. Mm-hmm. And like you were still fetching all your data inside of your components, then it's somewhat easier to just rip out because it's basically just state at that point. So you put it on the context and, you know, you can even use reducer now with hooks, but I've seen some, you know, if you're into the like Redux saga, if you're into the, all the like Redux promise and the data fetching stuff, oh my gosh, it can be really brutal to rip that out yeah. because it's basically you need to put something into a component that wasn't into a, in a component. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Which can be rough sometimes because it's be littered all across your application. Yeah. But the other way to do that that we've had success with is to encapsulate that data fetching. So even if it lives in Redux, like Redux Saga, like you build some sort of component that's like a query component, like kind of like the way that like GraphQL's query or Apollo's GraphQL query mm-hmm. component works. And that'll be like your user container component and it's got a render prop or it's a hook or whatever, right? And mm-hmm. that just that component connects to the store. But then every other place where you need to connect to the store, you start removing and replacing with that like render prop or whatever. Um, nice. So that's been our that's been our strategy for those situations. So you encapsulate it, and then once it's fully encapsulated across your entire application, where you're always going through that component or hook or whatever it is, well then then you can you know remove that part of Redux and put that back into state. Yeah, that, that's good. And what what are you using? Like because when you need some global state. The new context is pretty good if you want to share like state with all your children, right? But one thing that it's still really interesting with Redux is that what if you want the children to also change the global state? This part of like coming back to change the global state is is the part that is like really cumbersome today with context. What do you use for like yeah, we use we use React set state and context. We don't use any data, okay. actual data data model or anything like that, um, or d- data library or cache like that. We basically use context. We put all our handlers in. In the know, context in, itself? In, well, yeah, we end up putting it onto context, exactly right. Um, mm-hmm. And then we use render props or hooks now to pass mm-hmm. that all around. And sometimes we'll do we use reducer instead of use state for that context. And great use cases like login or authentication or you know various other aspects of things that you'd like to glo- like modals or something like uh-huh. that things that are kind of global those like that's like one use case for context the other use case is just like you need to pass props imperatively without structure so you can't guarantee the structure of the children so you can't use clone clone element so instead put it on context and that's our um so formic works with context right so you don't have to pass props explicitly down so we, we've had a lot of success there the other thing too is to build sort of like components where you can get access through render props or just like components as props. So you can pass things through. So you don't have to quite prop drill, you know, you don't have to pass it, you know, through six or seven components. Mm-hmm. You can same file quickly, like take something from a render prop and put it, you know, seven layers deep because you're exposing that thing that's seven layers deep. That's also mm-hmm. a great design pattern. So yeah, that's basically, we don't, we don't use anything yet right now. And we've scaled that to hundreds and hundreds of thousands of lines of code across 
multiple projects and have not really had any issues. That's amazing. Yeah. So we, uh, we, we, we do a lot of code reviews now, <laughs> I would say, but you know, um, we, uh, we're, we're very happy with the current context API and haven't found a need for Redux. Yeah. Less and less. Yeah. The, the, the only thing that that's still, uh, we, we need to be very careful, like with whatever we pass uh, for the contest and like functions and stuff, because I, I've reached, like, uh, I did something with context here in work. Like, when, when I run the application, the application was, like, three times lower. Mm, yeah, and you I definitely pay like, a penalty for context, for sure. Um, and yeah. you also can pay a penalty for, like, actually creating too many. Like, if you need to mention stuff, like, if you're not going to keep it all in the state variable, like, you can pay a penalty for not quite exactly. memoizing the value. You could creating a new version of context on every single render instead of like reusing Ex the same. Exactly. Like when I put the, the profiler to see what was rendering, it was like I got almost blind. <laughs> without, <laughs> And I was like, oh my God, what's happening? And it's like a bunch of quirks that you see. Like I think that the most impressive part of Redux is the React Redux uh, library that they deal with all those edge cases yeah. of like making sure that things uh, only uh, re-render in the correct time. So this is this would be like the only gotchas of uh, that 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 I'm seeing with using the pure context to to handle things like be careful not to re-trigger uh, renders on your whole tree exactly after, after the user types something in the, in the input. Yeah, it's uh it's definitely a foot gun that you need to definitely read the docs I guess is my best suggestion there just mm -hmm. make sure you understand how it works. A yeah. foot gun. Um, I don't know if I've ever heard that term before. It's it's a gun that it's made just to shoot you in the foot, right? The foot gun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. This episode is brought to you by TripleByte. Applying to programming jobs sucks. You have to put the right keywords in your resume. You spend hours and hours on the phone screens and take home projects. And that's assuming the company even responds to your application. Well, if you're a software engineer, TripleByte can help. They work with over 400 top tech companies from big names like Dropbox and Adobe to exciting startups. You do one brief online interview with them, and if you do well, you go straight to final interviews with the company on their platform. It's like the common app for software developers. TripleByte does not look at your resume or where you went to school. All they care about is if you can code. I've helped dozens of software developers with various credentials get jobs, and this looks like a terrific way for you to get in and get interviewed and get a job without a lot of the hassle and overhead. You can go check them out at triplebyte.com react. That's triplebyte.com Byte as in eight bits. As a special offer for listeners of this show, if you take a job through Triple Byte, they'll offer you a $1,000 signing bonus. Well, can I push us over to Picks? All right, let's go. All right. Lucas, you want to start us off with Picks? Yeah, my, my pick today is like a generic pick. It's not a, a product in particular, but it was something I bought about and it it really has a positive impact on my life. I am a, I was always like a night owl. I worked as a musician for more than ten years. So always like sleeping really late, really difficult to to wake up in the morning. And three months ago, I bought one of those light alarms. One of those alarms that like they start getting like bright half an hour before uh, you're supposed to to wake up. So like when when the alarm uh, rings. Your whole room is super bright. And now, like, living in a place with real winter that at 6 o'clock in the morning, it's really dark, this completely changed the game. So this, this made my, my life much easier. I got, as a gift, a Philips one. It's not very cheap, but, but I've, I've already seen there's, like, the whole price range. 
So my pick today is a light alarm. This thing really works. That's awesome. Nice. Um, I'm going to jump in here with a pick or two myself. So I've kind of gone through some health issues the last few weeks. Uh, not a lot of fun, but uh, a few things have kind of helped me get through it. And I'm just going to pick those real quick. So besides going to the doctor and getting some medication, which was pretty central to getting better. Anyway, uh, this is a gel pad. It's kind of got, it, it looks kind of like a, a grid. And, and when you sit on it, the parts that push down the most or get the most pressure, the gel collapses a little under that pressure. And then it, you know, everywhere else where there's not enough pressure to collapse the gel, it pushes back up. But it, it's been really, really comfortable and been kind of a, a real help for me to be able to get the work done. And then the other pick that I have, I've been using a system. It's sort of a wiki. It's kind of a blend, I guess, between like a wiki and Google Docs. It's called Notion, notion notion.so, and I've been pretty happy with them. So I'm going to pick them as well. Um, Oh, yeah, Notion's great. Yeah. Uh, Jared, do you have some picks for us? Yeah, so I have a new pick for this week, and that's something called like a project called DevHub on GitHub. You can look it up. It was was trending a couple, maybe a couple weeks ago. Anyways, it's a cool app, but I think as cool as the application itself, which is a cross-platform GitHub, like TweetBot kind of mashup. It's like TweetBot for GitHub. Think about it like that. Um, is the code base is interesting. It's a, a monorepo uh, with TypeScript that is cross-platform and it uses React Native Web, React Native, and Electron. And it shares like 99% of code between Android, iOS, Web, and Electron. So that's super cool to see from both like a... It's a cool app and also the tooling is pretty impressive as well. So that's that's my that's one pick. And then uh, the other pick I have is a little shameless, uh, uh, the Undefined podcast with me and Ken Wheeler. We will be uh, publishing our first episode very, 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 very soon. So um, if it's not out already by the time this, y'all, you all are hearing this, yeah, new podcast with me and Ken. <laughs> Good deal. That's nice. That's something I would listen to. So because <laughs> both of you oh, guys thanks. are really super smart and I always feel like I learned something Thank when you. I'm on the show. So. Both, both well, you. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you all for having me. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a URL for that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, undefined.fm. Awesome. All right. Uh, one last thing, Jared. If people want to find you online, where do they go? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jared Palmer, GitHub at Jared Palmer, jaredpalmer.com, or palmer.net is our company's website. So, yeah, that's me. Awesome. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this up. Thanks for coming, Jared. Yeah. Thank you all. I really, really appreciate it. This is an awesome episode. Yep. And as always, it's good to talk. Lucas, uh, we'll wrap this up and we'll catch everyone next week. All right. Later. Bye-bye. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit dot com to learn more.